This is Smart Politics, and I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. Smart Politics is quite obviously a podcast about politics, only with a twist. In each episode, I'm going to try and tell you a story that makes you think differently about our politics today. These stories can be from any time, any place, and any point of view. They're fiction, but they're grounded in facts. For this episode, we're heading to the future, to a world where the United States has not solved its political divide. A world where Americans remain incredibly split. The question this episode is asking is simple. What could happen if we keep going down the path we're on right now? This is a story about a country heading towards a danger that it may not appreciate. If you're ready, then let's begin. The year is 2048, and I, President Arnold, have just wrapped up my second term. Because I was unsurprisingly very good at my job, the nation is enjoying the kind of success that most people thought was no longer possible. I was elected on the back of an electoral landslide. My party, which is whatever party you belong to, used my rare combination of policy brilliance and personal touch to build a campaign that swept all challengers aside. And after so many years of dysfunction, the nation was ready to give someone a chance to truly remake things. I was simply the right man for the moment. My healthcare plan is whatever you prefer. Jobs have come back, wages are rising, and our prestige in the international community has never been higher. I've reestablished our nation as the preeminent superpower and have ushered in a new era of American greatness. The future has never been brighter. Like I said, I was very good at my job. And so when my time in office comes to an end, there's real concern over what comes next. How could the nation hope to replace such a dynamic, beloved leader? Who could we choose that would carry on the vital work that I began? It's extremely fortunate then that my brother was available. During my campaign and my time in office, he was a vital advisor. And so it's unsurprising that he made the choice to pursue the presidency for himself. With his own formidable political gifts and my spotless record still in the minds of the public, his election is little more than a foregone conclusion. He cruises easily to the party's nomination. And in the lead up to the general election, he leads every poll handily. There are, of course, detractors, people who are naturally opposed to my brother following right after me. They complain about political dynasties, tell Americans that they should reject my brother. And of course, there are the more normal political opponents who believe that a continuation of my policies, however popular they may be, don't represent the best path forward. But nobody takes these complaints very seriously. (laughs) For starters, I stay well away from the campaign, enjoying my last few months in office after eight years of hard work. My brother neither wants or needs my help. It also doesn't hurt that with Americans enjoying such prosperity for the first time in a while, they aren't anxious to try something different. 
So when November comes, my brother, as predicted, wins easily. Americans and the world are thrilled. While he will certainly do some things different than me, there's comfort in knowing that we could have eight more years of growth and happiness. The first sign that things aren't going to be normal comes when my brother announces his decision to nominate me for attorney general. To be clear, there's nothing illegal about this. There's nothing prohibiting me from serving in this role, and I'm absolutely qualified for the position. The biggest reason nobody has ever done it is that it would be a bit odd to have a former president peering over your shoulder the entire time. But my brother and I have a great working relationship and my experience figures to be a real asset to ensuring the smooth continuation of policies. If you really think about it, such an arrangement could even be considered a strength in many respects, which only leaves the obstacle of the Senate. Once again, our political opponents make claims of tyranny and even a few of our allies think it more than a bit strange. But considering that riding my coattails is the reason most of them are in office right now, my confirmation hearings are nothing more than a rubber stamp. Once I become attorney general, it becomes obvious that my job is going to be far more sweeping than initially believed. My influence on policy and direction, while never heavy-handed, is nonetheless apparent. I pretty regularly give quotes about things not directly related to my job. My brother defers to me more often than people imagined he would, and there's a general feeling that for all intents and purposes, we're living under a third term of President Arnold. So the grumbling about tyranny and monarchy grows a little louder. It's not enough to warrant any action, though again, it's not clear what anyone could do since this was all perfectly legal, but it's loud enough that some more cynical types are starting to state out loud what many are privately wondering. Will I ever really leave office if my party keeps winning? Of course, the deciding factor here is what do the people want? And it remains crystal clear that what they want is more of the same. Our administration is very aggressive with our means of communicating directly to the public. We ignore traditional media, which long ago stopped being seen as a source of reliable information. And party leaders who fiddled for decades while the country burned no longer have any legitimacy at all. So when my brother and I explained that what they are really trying to do is prevent us from helping you, we find a very receptive audience. Nobody is really trying to hear about the reasons why I need to go. There were some who believed that I would step aside pretty early and that my brother would then fully do the job. We never promised that, but when reporters asked about it, we didn't exactly reject the possibility. But as my brother's first term went on, the reality finally set in. I was there to stay. The only way to get rid of me would be to defeat us. That's looking unlikely. 
In addition to the public embrace of our policies, we also moved to dramatically expand who could vote. These broadly populist ideas had widespread approval among the public and were yet another blow to the parties that were starting to wonder if they needed to stop me. In the run-up to my brother's election vote, we didn't try to hide it anymore. Voting for him was really the same thing as voting for me. I would remain attorney general in name only. In reality, I would remain president for the fourth term in a row. And if the people wanted it, I may even be open to extending this arrangement beyond my brother's second term. Let's stop here and hop out of the story before things get too ridiculous. You've all probably realized by now that what I'm describing is a shadow presidency. A person not directly elected by voters runs the country. It's a way to get around things like term limits or laws. Because it's not illegal, the only thing that could really stop this scenario is the Senate confirmation or voters choosing to vote for whoever was on the other side. If you've been paying attention to our politics lately, then you might have realized that confirmation votes don't really seem real anymore. Because of partisanship and the desire to make the president happy, it's almost assured that any person a president nominates will be confirmed if his or her party controls the Senate. Can you really imagine a dozen senators standing up to their own president? I can't, which leaves the vote. I'm guessing that most, if not all of you, can't picture a scenario where you would willingly vote the country into tyranny. And to be clear, that's what I'm describing. As long as I remained attorney general, it wouldn't matter who the president was. I would be in charge until I died, and this would establish something that would undermine our democracy. You would never vote for this. But what if I ran against somebody you hated as much as Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? What if stopping me meant voting for somebody like them? Did you hesitate? Did you pause? Our two political parties aren't getting closer together. Maybe the fever breaks soon and our partisan divides start to close. Maybe the various issues our nation faces finally gets the two sides to start really working together. That doesn't look very likely right now, though. Right now, the two sides are drifting further and further away from each other, and they're pulling voters with them. We all feel it. Interactions become strained. Conversations become more difficult as the condition of our politics deteriorates even more. We tend to think of partisanship as merely an inconvenience. It makes workplaces a little awkward and maybe it causes an argument or two at a family reunion. You delete people on Facebook when you don't like their opinions and your network of friends is largely shaped by who they vote for. Right now, that all seems normal and mostly harmless. However, the darker side of partisanship is that in a basic way, it makes politics impossible. Politics is trying to convince others of your point of view. The job of a politician is to pitch their ideas to people. But in a society where we're so far apart to begin with, that can't be done. If the chasm is too wide, you can't convince others to join you, and you can't possibly be convinced 
to join them. That's where we are right now. If you can't imagine voting for the other side, then it means your side is free to do whatever they wish. It means that the door to corruption, abuse, and yes, even tyranny is cracked open because you don't really have a choice. And without a choice, anything can happen. While the story I told seems ridiculous and in many ways it is, it's not totally implausible. The freedom to make the right choice depends on there being a real choice in the first place. For many of us, rising partisanship has removed that choice, leaving us with a system where we feel forced into only one option. The truth is that there are no easy answers to this. It won't fix itself overnight. It may not fix itself soon, if at all. But one way or the other, our democracy does depend on it being fixed. If not, then the ridiculous world of President General Arnold becomes a little more likely. That was Smart Politics, a podcast on the Pointcast Network. I hope that you feel a little closer a little more concerned and a little more curious about what the person next to you might be going through. Take it easy out there, everybody.